that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. This is our first solo episode, really, of the new year. We had one other episode on New Year's Day with a guest, if you haven't listened to that yet. But this is our first one, just between the two of us. And we are recording this in December, which, if you didn't know this already, oftentimes, well, most times, actually, I I can't actually think of a time that we have done an episode and published it on the same day because of the way the editing goes and the team that we work with that helps get these episodes out. So usually we're recording at least a week in advance. And today is December 21st, 2020, but you're listening to this in 2021. It's kind of like the listeners are in the future (laughs) for us, which is kind of interesting. So there's a couple things that I thought were really interesting and relevant in terms of the transition between 2020, which has been an intense year, and 2021, which is a year full of unknowns. Even if you're listening in 2021, there's still so much of the year left for you, unless you happen to be listening a full year after we recorded this. Who knows? We don't know exactly when you listen to our episodes. I received two emails this week that I thought were really interesting on this subject matter. One included some like predictions for 2021. And I always find that interesting because, (laughs) first of all, you know, some of these things are based on trends and they can be accurate, but like we really don't have the ability to predict anything. So who really knows? But secondly, I think that they can be really fascinating in terms of things to observe within ourselves, whether they turn out to be accurate or not. And in this one email, it was predictions for content marketing in 2021. And the author, Christopher Penn, who writes a really nice email, if you're into marketing, it's worth subscribing to. He says, I have no idea what to predict for 2021, and neither does anyone else, if we're honest. So little about the world is predictable right now beyond the basics, which I thought was a really wonderful way to phrase that. But then he got into challenges that people are facing and challenges that he sees people going into 2021 with. And I thought that was a really great way to pivot this beyond like trying to predict, trying to be right, trying to be accurate about what's coming for us. Instead, what if we just focus on what is challenging for us? And there are a lot of challenging things. He did a survey of his email audience and found that the top challenge was screen fatigue. And this was really interesting to me, especially as a content creator, both me and Jason, uh, because he said that people don't want more podcasts, more videos, more live streams, or more time on their devices. And I read that line and thought, shit. (laughs) First of all, (laughs) first of all, he's probably right. Jason and I have talked about screen fatigue and fatigue in general from social media. We talked about this on an episode with Corbett Barr, which I really recommend listening to. If you have not yet, we will put that in the show notes. If you have not visited our website yet, you can go to wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We'll link to that episode with Corbett. Anything else we mentioned today, including this wonderful newsletter from Christopher S. Penn. Anyways, I am reading this thinking, great. Okay, so Jason and I are clearly invested in people's well-being, but it's really challenging to figure out how to support people when so much of our ways of supporting people has been online and it's through a device, whether that's a computer, a phone, a tablet, whatever it might be, a television. Those are becoming smarter and smarter. And it's also interesting because Christopher S. Penn is obviously writing to me through his screen to my screen. So he's not saying 
not to create online content. It's simply making a little bit of a pivot. And one of the things that he recommended was that people want to get things faster. And this also triggered me, right? Especially with our show, Jason, being on average 60 to 90 minutes long, it's certainly not fast. Although a little tip for you as a listener, you can actually listen to podcasts at faster speeds. And some people really enjoy doing this, depending on the podcast platform you're using, like set 1.5 speed or even two times the speed if you can handle that. I do this with audiobooks. I like to listen to audiobooks at 1.25 speed. It still sounds natural, but it saves a little bit of time. And I actually don't even notice it anymore. I'm so used to it. Another thing that Christopher recommended was reading transcripts. And so I was like very relieved because in that show notes section that we mentioned of our website, there's a transcript for every single episode. And this is kind of interesting, Jason. He said that people can read up to 400 words per minute and we speak at roughly 150 words per minute. So it's over two times faster to read our podcast episodes. So if you'd like to do that, again, go to wellevator.com and click on the podcast section of our website, and you'll find those transcripts, which are really helpful because if there's ever anything that we say and you want to go back to, or you don't want to listen to the whole episode, there they are. And people can consume our podcast episodes over two and a half times faster with those transcripts, which is really neat. But then he talks about cutting out the fat and making things faster and shorter. How can we make our content as fast as possible? Because so many people's attention is very scarce. It's a premium to have people's attention. And I think that this is going to be a growing thing, but it's a little frightening to me, Jason. I know you're going to have a lot to say about this too, because I'm trying to get away from this mentality of trying to get people's attention all the time. Like all these tactics, all these ways to optimize. It's like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. That really is unsettling for me. That's uncomfortable. And I don't want to do that. But I also don't want to fully lose people's attention because I find supporting others very rewarding. And that's clearly part of our careers. So, Knowing that people need support from one another, that's how we work collectively as human beings. How do we move forward in this world that's like constantly trying to grab people's attention, Jason? I'm curious where you're at with that mentally. And I know that you've been reflecting on how you want to operate in 2021. So with all of this said, like, what is this making you feel? Are you getting triggered by this? Are you feeling scared? Are you feeling like relaxed about it? I'm in a state of I don't know, Whitney. I'm in a state of I don't know. I was going to say confusion, but it's not confusion. It's I really don't know. Because on the one hand, I know that for myself, and you and I have talked about this extensively. We've talked about it with our dear friend, Adam Yasmin, who also has a great previous episode of this podcast. If you want to dive into that, we will link to that in the show notes as well. I'm having a lot of conversations with close friends and also seeing things pop up about how much people miss live in-person events and activations and whether that's doing therapy one-on-one, whether that's doing music lessons one-on-one. I'm just seeing a pretty broad consensus that people are really, and for good reason, missing that deeper energetic transmission. And I was speaking with someone the other day I think it was at my physical therapist's office about when the pandemic started, Whitney, that I was doing almost every day for a month, the first month of the pandemic, I was doing an Alive at Five. I was going on every single day on Instagram Live and doing skits and playing music. And with something like, I suppose, events that you and I have thrown, I don't know if the listener knows this, but Whitney is a really fantastic organizer and event planner. And we've personally not only spoken at different events, but Whitney has produced and we've co-hosted many events in the past. It's one of our favorite things to do. But when it comes to something like music or gatherings or trade shows, the online experience isn't the same. It's a decent substitute, but it's not the same because there's something about being in the room physically with other people where there's a transmission between the speaker, the entertainer, the presenter, the audience. There's that real-time feedback. There's being able to hug someone and look them in the eye and talk about their challenges and their issues and their heartbreaks. It's 
we're not getting that deeper level of interactive energetic exchange when we're doing digital media. So you talk about, am I afraid? I'm afraid that the fear from the pandemic is going to be so etched in people's consciousness that they're going to be afraid to do these in-person events. I hope not. I hope that we get to a point where the concerts and the gatherings and the things that you and I will do will shift to more in-person. That's my hope, is that in 2021, you and I will do a lot more events, we'll do a lot more in-person, real-time gatherings and exchanges with people. But the other side of that, Whitney, is I personally would love to find a way to spend less time on screens. Yes, I'm burnt out on it. I'm pretty much sick of spending hours and hours and hours a day on Zoom calls and social media promotions and writing emails. But the question is, if you and I are intending on having more in-person interactions, right, with events and maybe coaching and things like that, well, then how do we spread the word about that? We have our newsletters, we have social media. There are new ones popping up that I haven't explored, like Telegram that a lot of people are talking about. But I think it's going to be a challenge for you and I to want to spend less screen time, to want to not be as burnt out on social media and online marketing. But then how do we physically spread the word about what we're doing? I don't have an answer to that yet. And as I wrap up kind of this longer diatribe, what I've been noticing recently is how many creators that are involved specifically is really interesting in the who are sex workers, who promote cannabis, who promote psychedelic drugs, are being cracked down by the new terms of service, the TOS, that Instagram and other platforms are rolling out, which are basically shadow banning or automatically deleting content from creators' feeds that are deemed sexually explicit or promoting federal illegal substances, even though they're legal in their state. So it's becoming harder for content creators in general to get their work seen because these terms and conditions keep changing on these platforms. I know that's a long, long answer to your question, Wit, but I think it's going to be more challenging for you and I to spread the word about our content and our offerings for the reasons that the terms and conditions keep changing on these platforms. And there's just so much fucking information being bombarded at people all the time. It's no wonder people are fatigued, right? They're just getting blitzed and bombarded by posts, videos, stories, ads. So I don't know. I don't know how you and I are going to handle 2021 in terms of our business, our marketing. I know that was kind of like a lot of intellectual vomit I just threw at you. (laughs) But how are you feeling about it? I mean, what do you think we can do to kind of, I don't know, change things up? Well, as you were talking, I remembered another newsletter that I received today from Corbett, who we mentioned was on our show. And it's interesting because he also mentions and references in this email two of our other guests, Chris Gillibo and Paul Jarvis. <laughs> and this article is about 10 trends for creators that he's watching in 2021. And I love Corbett. Again, that episode we did with him is one of our all-time favorites. And just seeing what he's doing has been really helpful for me. So I'll go through this in live time because I really just had scanned it before. And we'll link to this in the show notes. Again, there's a whole list of trends. (laughs) And, you know, the word trend we can use lightly, I think, predictions, whatever. It's really just opinions. And he has an article of this on his website in addition to this newsletter. So you can easily read it. Number one, this is interesting and and probably is something worth looking in for you and me, Jason, is, is something called video books. And it's funny because this first trend that he wrote here He starts off by saying, as our attention spans get shorter and shorter, longer form content can be harder to fit into our days. And he's reiterating the exact same thing. So now we have two people pointing these out. So clearly, this is going to be something that we're going to deal with in 2021 and beyond. I mean, we know this is not new information, but a lot of very reputable people are predicting this, right? And sadly, Corbett also points out he read fewer books in 2020. Now, granted, I personally enjoy longer form content. I probably read more books this year in the last few years. Like I mentioned, I read audiobooks. They can take eight plus hours to listen to, but I'm usually not in a rush. So I think number one, Jason, we have to keep remembering that the aim here is not to please everyone. The aim here is not to go into life following a trend just for the trend's sake. 
And I know that I really enjoy longer form content in terms of books, audiobooks, and podcasts. So I feel good about us continuing doing this. It doesn't feel authentic to us to do shorter form content just because that's the trend. I think there are still plenty of people that have that patience. And patience is also a big part of well-being. This whole fear of something being too long is maybe not the best for a mental state. In fact, I think we benefit from having longer attention spans. We can practice this through meditation, for example. And this like trend, very literally, of our attention spans getting so short, I don't think is the best direction for us to go in, even though it is happening. I think that we can actually be very aware of it and conscious of it and kind of resist it. Now, on the other hand, I love platforms like TikTok. I'm creating content on there. I think about TikTok. I watch a lot of videos. So I see my attention span short on that platform, but I also see it longer on others. So I think both could happen at the same time. Anyways, I mentioned video books, and I guess there's a new company that partners with authors to bring books to life in under two hours. And maybe it's through a video. I haven't even checked this out yet. So that's something to explore. There's new technology being developed to help with these challenges. Another thing that I have actually seen as a trend is paid newsletters. And this is something I've been thinking about for Wellevator. We have a newsletter that we send out once a week, sometimes more often, depending on what we're working on. And there's this great platform called Substack that's really growing in popularity. So it's, it's possible that we may pivot to a paid newsletter. I don't know if that solves the screen fatigue challenge, though. There's some other sections in here that I'm going to skip over because I don't fully understand them enough to <laughs> address them very briefly. But this section, number six on Corbett's list, was a digital reboot. And this is what he talked about in his episode with us. And this is also where he addresses Paul Jarvis and Chris Gillibo. I didn't know this, Jason, but apparently Chris tweeted recently that he's thinking about starting over in 2021 with his blog, his podcast, his next book, archiving everything and starting it all over from a blank slate. And he didn't confirm this. He's saying that he's thinking about it. But I think that this could be a big trend. And that is interesting to me. Like, what does happen if we all start over? And that's something that you've been thinking a lot about, Jason. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people start doing digital reboots. And then lastly on his list, Corbett talks about the creator economy. And I think this is also something that we're going to see more and more of, especially as we're in a new year. We see platforms like Patreon. I mentioned Substack earlier. We've got TikTok. Now we have OnlyFans, which we've <laughs> talked about here and there. Etsy has been growing. I mean, again, something I notice a lot on TikTok, which is a great place to study trends, by the way, because it's very about like up and coming things. Like, I don't know why <laughs> more than other platforms, I get breaking news and I see trends on TikTok before I see them anywhere else. And I don't know how it happens. I never see that happening on Instagram. Usually, Instagram feels behind. In fact, Jason, you and I have experienced this where you'll send me a video that you think is really funny. And I'm like, yeah, I saw that weeks ago on TikTok. Like, it's kind of old news to me now. Um, I think this happens on Twitter and I'm sure the other platforms as well. But it's just that the delivery mechanism that is TikTok, it's like, hey, like this is happening right now or this is about to happen. Or you just like see literal trends developing because somebody will jump on board for something and it gets all this momentum. So anyways, I'm seeing that happen with OnlyFans and Etsy. And I think it's really interesting with Etsy as an example, because a lot of younger people, and I guess like younger people, teenagers and early 20s, they are starting their own businesses on Etsy. And they're creating things like stickers and resin art and 3D printing and starting to make their own living from there. And I think it's really neat. And this is also going to be a big result of 2020 people were spending more time at home and people were looking for new ways to make money. And that's where OnlyFans and Etsy started to gain a lot of traction. And so I think 2020 in a way has shaped so much of these trends that are starting to happen in the new year. Yeah, I think it's going to require a lot of pivots in the sense that 
people who have been making money a certain way, those income streams are not necessarily available or maybe not as plentiful. And to echo what you said, Whitney, I'm very much in the same boat of I really want to open my mind and my consciousness to new ways of leveraging my creativity to make money. I don't necessarily have physical items to sell other than maybe like my books and my DVDs, but I've been really meditating on, I wonder if there's a physical thing I can create and sell to people. Because to be honest, I think we talked about this. We did talk about this in many, many podcast episodes ago in a book that I am almost done reading called Lost Connections. And in Lost Connections, there's a section that talks about how there's a certain lack of creative fulfillment when you are releasing digital content, whether that's photos or YouTube videos or ebooks or online courses. And I really resonated with that wit in the sense that I felt and I feel a deeper level of creative satisfaction when I release something like a DVD or my actual physical book or some tangible physical item that is tactile and real. And I don't get as much satisfaction when, say, you and I have released our ebooks, which are great ebooks. I mean, Take Charge is amazing. You Are Enough is amazing. We've got some really cool ebooks in our free resources section, as an aside, at our website, wellevator.com. I don't know. It's hard to describe that feeling. And I'm wondering when your book came out and you've done some really great t shirts in the past, you've done some really great eco vegan gal swag in the past, Whitney. I remember you had those great backpacks. I'm wondering if you, as an aside, if you feel the same, because I feel like I want to create more physical items moving forward. I don't know what that is yet, but I just feel like in my heart, I want that deeper level of creative satisfaction and share physical tactile items with people. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I have experimented a lot with physical items. Like you mentioned, I did t-shirts and books. Well, yes, I did a book, but I was also going to say my backpacks, trying to think if there's anything in addition to that. And and we've been approached with Wellevator to partner with some of these merchandise companies. And it's something that we've thought about doing, maybe making organic tote bags or coffee mugs or something like that, which I definitely think is interesting. It's just that also feels very concentrated. And I don't know if the time investment is worth the return on investment. We'd have to see. It's a big experiment. And it's a lot of work to launch anything. And very different than it used to be, at least for me. When I launched my t-shirts, there weren't a lot of people with t-shirts back then. And so I think because it was less crowded, it was easier to stand out. And social media was so different back in... That was probably 2013, 2014. Actually, no. My first line of t-shirts came out, I think, in the very beginning of 2012. And I had just a dedicated community of people that were really into it. And then I started doing special... What did I call them? Not gift boxes or subscription boxes, but I had a term for them. I don't even remember. But basically, I would package up products and send them out to people. And I had done a few different iterations of that. One that was a surprise box, that was what it was called back then, where I just like sent people a random box of things. I did another version of it where I asked people what they wanted and I put in, if I had it in stock, I would literally fill the boxes with what they asked and they could pick out what they wanted. And then my newer version, which I still kind of do, I haven't been very passive with it, but you can technically still order it from me, is you can go on and see what's in a box and I would put the boxes together of products. And these were always like products that maybe I was sent from a company and had extra of and I wanted to give to people and I would charge them a small amount of money. It wasn't there to be a profit. It was mainly just a way for me to send people items, right? And long story short, Jason, it it did feel very fulfilling. I was surprised at the number of people that signed up for those things. It wasn't like a game changer in terms of income because again, it wasn't designed to be, but it did feel like a neat way for me to send somebody something, right? If I had the extra money in my business, I'd love to just send people things entirely for free. And that would be a lovely place to get to. And lastly, I would say my current experience that has been working really well, and I think a lot of these things I just mentioned will eventually tie into is my community beyond measure. And I think that that has really started to take shape after months and months of experimenting. 
if you haven't heard me talk about this before, I started coming up with this idea for Beyond Measure towards the beginning of 2020. And I think it had been in my head for a lot longer than that, but I didn't really know how to express it, like how to put it into words. And I've experimented with online communities before. Jason and I have a Patreon, which we haven't really found a lot of success with. If you want to support us on Patreon, you're more than welcome to. But the effort that it was taking for us to put into the Patreon community was not worthwhile because not a lot of people were interested in supporting us there. And that's fine. So I've experimented with Patreon through Wellevator and through Eco Vegan Gal. And I had also started a community years ago called Eco Vegan Pal. And it was like kind of a virtual pen pal, a virtual community here. And it just like didn't catch on. And that was fine. But my interest in having a membership community has always lingered. So long story short, I started slowly working on Beyond Measure at the beginning of 2020. And I really saw a big need for it, Jason. And here's the reason why is when I did personal outreach to people, they respond completely different than when I do a broad outreach, like a general newsletter or a social media post. When I've reached out to people individually, or if I have done something that was a little bit more broad in general, but really felt like it was had a personal touch to it, for example, in March 2020, once the pandemic started to become really serious, I wrote an email asking, like, how are you doing? And it was sent out to my entire newsletter list, but I got tons of responses from people. Simply that question of asking people how they were doing caused them to respond. And that was such a big thing for me because it was my aim from the very beginning with Beyond Measure to be truly supportive. Like I said earlier in this episode, I want to support people. Like That's fulfilling to me. That I feel like is part of my reason for being. And anyways, as Beyond Measure started to take shape, I started inviting people in one by one, personal invitations to them. And some of the listeners are either in Beyond Measure or have been invited, invited to Beyond Measure. It really depends if I have a relationship with somebody that's developed through email or through Instagram or wherever else, right? Like these are people that I've started to get to know and I felt like they could be a good fit. So I'm hand selecting people and it has been really remarkable, Jason, even though it's a digital community, it feels vastly different than social media because people know that I care. They know that I care because I invited them in. They know that I care because we touch base with each other through video chat and it's a private group. They know that I care because I respond to their messages and we're having conversations on this platform. And it's not on social media, so it's not distracting. And I think going back to Corbett's predictions for this year, it really is a more intimate community. I think that that's a huge part of this whole conversation. And also referencing Christopher Penn's observation is a better word for him. Yes, people's attentions are getting shorter. In some cases, I think they're getting shorter in terms of consuming content. But when people feel like something's designed for them, when people feel like there's care and it's customized, their attentions are much longer. And I think that's part of the reason, Jason, that you and I can hold people's attention with this podcast. Maybe not everybody, but people are listening because they know that we care about them. And we truly do. For you, the listener, hopefully you know that. Like, we do care that we're not doing this for money. <laughs> we're not doing this for fame. We're doing this because we care and we want to have conversations and we get feedback and we're here to open up and share our hearts and show you that there's something of substance here. And I think that that resonates with a lot of people, Jason. They're hearing these conversations. They don't feel so contrived. And our episodes are not necessarily meant to teach somebody something. They're meant to explore something. I think that makes it very different. So it's a very long-winded answer to say it doesn't have to be a physical product to make a difference. People just want to be cared for, in my opinion. As kind of a related comment, the past year and a half or so, I've had some really interesting conversations, Whitney, with fellow content creators slash coaches who have been involved in 
different communities or coaching programs who have had really disappointing experiences. And I was talking with a mutual friend of ours the other day who is a psychotherapist and has a practice where she's thriving with her clients, but she really wants to expand her online presence and her offerings online and really brand herself in a way that reflects who she is that feels like her. So she joined a tribe. That word gets thrown around, I think, way too much. Come join the tribe. Come join the clan. Come join whatever. And I'm saying all this because she had a really disappointing experience in the sense that, sound familiar? They promised her all of this stuff. They promised her all of this support, this community interaction, a higher level of attention. And she paid five figures for this coaching program. And she was relaying to me a couple of days ago how just furious and disappointed she was that they promised her all these things of, we've got a thriving community that's super supportive. The tribe is strong here. You'll feel taken care of. You'll feel loved. And I'm bringing this up because I think that there are a lot of these programs that are over-promising and undelivering, and they're positioning things for people that are lonely and lost and don't know what they're doing. And they say, we've got a community of like-minded people just like you who will support you, and this is the deeper level of intimate interaction you're going to get, and we're going to assign a specific coach to you. It goes on and on and on. But it's interesting to take note of what you're talking about, how people just want to feel taken care of. They want to feel heard. They want to feel included. They want to feel seen. And a lot of online marketers and a lot of online coaches and entrepreneurs are positioning their programs in that way, but they're not actually delivering on what they're saying. And to me, I think that's even more damaging because you're wanting people to feel included, taken care of, loved, seen, heard, and as part of a larger community. But then when you're not delivering what you promise, you're not only infuriating people, but the energy you're creating by promising one thing and delivering the opposite is potentially very damaging. And in this case, Whitney, they are refusing to refund her money, which I think is another, I don't agree with that tactic. I see that a lot too with online coaches and entrepreneurs where they're like no refunds. And I think if you promise something and you don't deliver, you sh- <laughs> I was about to drop the should. It would be an integrity, in my opinion, to give someone a refund if you really promised them something and didn't deliver. I know that that might be kind of tangential, but when you're talking about people really craving this connection. I don't know that these programs are intentionally taking advantage of people. I'd like to believe they're not. But I think that there's a lot of lack of integrity, as we've talked about with online marketing, with overpromising, with the language people are using. And you and I certainly endeavor not to ever do that because we've been on the receiving end of something similar. And I just see it happening more and more, Whitney. So I think if we're going to talk about community and connection, We really need to create structures and frameworks to deliver that for people. Coming back to this point about delivering on what you promise, what you guarantee, and really setting the right expectations. It's been interesting as we have relaunched our two courses, Wellness Warrior Training and the Consistency Code, because there's been a lot of customer service things that have come up. And I think it is incredibly important to address things with integrity. You know, it is a little bit tricky, as you were talking about, like giving somebody a refund. In the cases of our program, sometimes we can't. Like when we're doing a bundle, for example, like we're not receiving the money, so we're not in a place to give the refund, right? It's through a joint program. And that came up a few times through the bundle sales that we've done. Actually, I think it only came up once. Somebody asked for a refund. And my response was, I'm sure you can get a refund through the bundle. And that's part of the integrity of the bundles is they're not saying like, spend your money and you're never getting it back. There's conditions usually. And setting those really clearly up front has been an ongoing learning lesson. In fact, I know you, Jason, in your private coaching have learned that lesson of something not going as planned and making sure that it's very clear, like what is your refund policy or what is your partial refund policy? Like, What does somebody need to do in order to get a refund? How much time would need to go by before that refund opportunity expires? Like, All of that transparency is incredibly important. And on one hand, I fully agree with you, Jason. It does feel shady if somebody promises you something or sets up your expectations and doesn't deliver. And that has happened to us as well. But I also know as a coach that 
just because somebody says they can do something for me, it's technically not a promise because I have to put the work in. We have in our return policies for our courses, it's like, if you show us that you're doing the work and you're not getting the results, we're happy to give you a refund within a certain period of time. Usually it's 30 days, right? But we're asking people to show us that they're putting in the work because A, you got to protect yourself from being taken advantage of. And sadly, that happens. People buy something, they download it, and then they want the refund for it. But B, I know our aim as coaches, and I think with many coaches, Jason, is to get somebody results by seeing them put in the work. And if someone's not willing to put in the work and then they're claiming that they don't get what you promised them, it's not fully fair. So it's incredibly conditional. And I think there's also no one size fits all rule when it comes to these things because everybody's circumstances are different. Everybody's work ethic, time and energy and expectations are different. And I was thinking about this the other day how customer service can be really hard. And it sometimes feels impossible to please people. When we've had this increase of new students enrolling in our courses, it's been wonderful, but that also increases the emails that we get from people saying that they don't like things. I think we talked about in an episode how one person decided they didn't want our program because it included meditation. (laughs) We're not going to take meditation out of our courses because that's at the core of our belief system in terms of taking care of your well-being, but it did give me an opportunity to reframe things, right? To ask some questions, to get some feedback, to adjust it. And ultimately, if we come from a place of wanting to take care of people and wanting to support them, as I was saying, that's what's important. And I think probably your point, Jason, is that sadly, a lot of coaches, whether it be business or personal life or health, well, you know, whatever it is, not all of them are coming from a place of integrity. Some of them are just trying to get as many people to sign up as possible. I was so grateful when we had our conversation with Jason and Caroline Zook, who are coaches that I've worked with, when they talked about how they really approach coaching and how they do everything in their power to take care of their students, no matter how many there are. And there are hundreds of people that have signed up for their programs. But I'm one of those hundreds of people and I still feel very taken care of. And that to me is the big key. I trust the two of them. They go above and beyond. I mean, they did so by coming on our show, which I think was one of my favorite episodes along with Corbett's. Just hearing people approach it like they do from this place of genuine authenticity. It's not about the money, but it is still a business. And I think finding that balance of business and authenticity is really key. And I think that does come back around to where this conversation started about like attention spans. I think one of our ways of supporting people is to be genuine. And if our content is genuinely running longer, then that is a better fit for us than it wouldn't be fully genuine of us to make things super short. The only reason we'd be making something short is to try to maximize the amount of eyeballs or ears. It's not really about what we stand for. And that I think is an incredibly important thing. I think another trend coming back around to something that reminds me of what Corbett was saying is that this idea of a digital reboot, part of the benefit of that is stepping away and re-examining how you're doing things. And I think that process involves asking yourself, does this feel right? Does this suit me? Am I doing this just because I think I, quote, should, as you were saying, Jason, which is another episode reference of ours with Trisha talking about like, are you doing something because you feel like you should be doing it? And does that really feel good to you? And I've noticed that so much of marketing and social media these days is me doing something because I feel like I should, not because I really want to or because it really aligns with me. And that's a red flag. That's me, an opportunity for me to step back and say, I'm not doing this for the right reasons. I think that one thing that comes to my mind, Whitney, is (laughs) how many people I see, especially in the food space, that there's almost a national day for every type of food now. There's like National Cinnamon Roll Day and National Sushi Day and National Green Bean Casserole Day. There's stuff that will come up on my social feeds that I'm like, there's a day for that. 
<laughs> National Creme Brulee Day. And I'll see certain content creators every time there's one of these national days that are like, I've got a recipe for green bean casserole and creme brulee and blah, 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 and this and that. And I don't know if they're doing it out of joy. I don't know if they're doing it out of excitement. But it seems to me that this idea of should and this idea of not listening to ourselves and just doing what we think we ought to do is sort of like this mental virus that people latch on and they see everyone else doing the thing. And I've had this thought in the past. I remember this was like three years ago. It was National Donut Day. And I was in Las Vegas on a business trip. I think I was promoting my book, Eternity. And I remember I didn't know it was National Donut Day, right? And then I saw it popping up. And I remember looking through the archives on my phone thinking, fuck, I need to post a picture of a donut. Where's it? And here I am looking back at the anxiety I felt trying to find an appropriate donut picture and caption to post on National Donut Day because I felt I had to. And I'm using this as an example to back up what you're saying, Whitney, of how often as content creators, artists, business owners, just humans in general, doesn't matter your endeavor, do things out of a sense of obligation, compulsion, and fear that we may be excluded. And I think to your point, moving forward, I certainly endeavor, not just with our business and our podcast, but my life in general, to look at what is the thing that is compelling me to do this action. And if it's a sense of obligation or should or ought to or fear of being excluded, I don't want to operate from that place anymore. I'm at least going to practice like a madman not to. Absolutely. And this actually reminds me of something else I wanted to bring up. We talked about her in a previous episode, and she's someone I've said I'd love to have on the show. So one thing I plan to do in 2021 is to invite Kathleen Smith onto this show, and hopefully she will say yes. But regardless, I love reading her newsletters. And her most recent newsletter, which came out on December 18th, 2020, was 20 Ways You Had an Incredibly Anxious 2020 and How This Can Help You Think About 2021. And she's so articulate. She specializes in anxiety. And it's just always such great food for thought. We've referenced her in two other episodes, which we will link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. Again, that's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast section and find this episode, you'll find links to everything that we've talked about and the transcript if you just want (laughs) to go read the rest of this and stop listening. So here's her list. Uh, Number one was that you borrowed standards of success from the world around you. And I don't recall if this was in one of her other lists that we've referenced in those episodes, Jason, but man, does that hit me. I'm going to read it again. 20 ways you had incredibly anxious 2020. Number one, you borrowed standards of success from the world around you. It totally ties into this conversation of trends, of shoulds, of trying to fit in because you've set your standards of success based on what other people are doing and what's working for them. And I know that that's caused me great anxiety. I've tried to force myself into a shape that wasn't my own, whether that was literal, like trying to be a physical shape, a certain size, a certain weight, a certain appearance. That never feels good. That always gives me anxiety, forcing myself to fit into those standards, which I've done so much in my life. But I've also done this with my career. I've done this maybe in my relationships. I'll have to examine that a little bit more. And certainly we've thought about doing that with our podcast or social media. And I'm sure that resonates with you too, Jason. If I'm really honest about it, I think that I have done what you're describing to a larger degree than I would have liked to admit in the past of listening to what other people told me was the right next step or what I should do with my brand, or this is the next thing you need to focus on. And when I was really in the heart of doing my TV show and really being groomed in this mold of a celebrity chef, there's a formula. There's a formula that they will process people through. And I feel like this idea of this formula, it's certainly something we've talked about in terms of frameworks of the 12 steps to feel better right now. But in terms of branding and turning people into commodities, this idea of a personal brand where the person is the brand, you or I, Whitney, being 
our name is our brand, if you will, or our image is our brand. There's so much emphasis from society, managers, PR people, agents, well-meaning family members, acquaintances, people in our industry that are like, oh, th- this is the thing you need to do. No, 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 trust me. I've done it and it's really great. And this is the thing you need to do. Or like, oh, we're really going to maximize your exposure by doing this interview, this magazine article. There's so many examples I could give. And I think that I have walked that path a lot more, like I said, than I would have previously admitted in years past that I've done this, like, what's the next box I need to check? And I think that if I keep checking the boxes in this order, in this way, working with this person, doing this thing, it will result in this thing that they are intending it will result in of you'll have this money and you'll have this fame and you'll have this influence. And yeah, I just, I think I've done it a lot in my life. And I think part of what I'm going through right now is the shedding of all that and wondering where my career or my identity or my ego or what I'm going to create. I'm still, as we start this new year, like in a process of I don't know, but I know that I'm shedding and letting go of a lot of ways of being that no longer serve me. And this is one of them. This is a huge one. Well, it also sounds like something else from this list, which is that you may have borrowed solutions from others without using your own thinking. And I've talked about this in previous episodes. I think this really comes down to self-trust. In fact, actually, that episode we did recently about the pseudo-self and pseudo-maturity, which also came from Kathleen Smith, I want to work on self-trust. And this is actually something that I've been working on for the last three or four years. I remember noticing this at the end of 2016. So I guess it has been four years. I remember like recognizing that I was having trouble making decisions. And I think that is stemming and has been stemming from challenges with self-trust. And I've really noticed that in 2020. I've noticed myself asking other people for their solutions before or instead of using my own solutions, my own thinking. Another thing on this list that, whew, like this ties into something you've talked about, Jason, and, and I don't recall how much you've shared about this on the podcast, but I think we've dabbled in it. On this list of ways that you might have had an anxious 2020, (laughs) I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people, you rigidly defined what a successful year would look like. Oh, 100%. It's getting into the end of each year and going, this is how much I'm going to make in revenue, and this is how much I'm going to generate each month, and this is the metrics I'm going to scale my social media and my newsletter to, and this is where I'm going to go on vacation when I make all that money and have all that attention and all that revenue coming in. And I think for the first time, as I mentioned in previous episode, when I destroyed my vision boards and my intention lists, I'm going to write an intention list and then I'm going to burn it. But this hard, fast, like this is what success means because I'm making 30K a month and I'm doing this and I'm hanging out with so-and-so. Fuck all that is where I'm at right now. Just fuck all of it. And actually, Jason, I'm glad that you shared that and have been sharing that with me in our personal conversations because I think I'm a lot like you. We've been conditioned culturally and certainly influenced by the wellness world and so many people that are there to support and coach online have this mentality of like, again, it's this formulaic thing. If you just set your intentions. You can manifest it. If you visualize it, it'll happen. And I'm not against that line of thinking, but it hasn't fully worked for me in the ways that I would like to now. I will say that visualization boards, we've talked about this in past episodes a while back. Visualization boards have worked for me. I have put them on my computer and things have happened in the order in which I laid them out. But then, (laughs) this reminds me of something I heard Oprah talking about. She's really passionate about manifestation. She said in a clip, if I can find it, I will put it in the show notes, that manifestation is not about forcing. You have to allow it and you have to step back and just release a lot of your attachment and expectations. And I think that's the difference here is there's this idea and coming back to what Kathleen was saying about this rigid definition of success. What if instead we had a looser definition of success? And 
2020 has really encouraged this, right? Many of us started off 2020 thinking it was going to go a certain way, and it certainly did not in ways that we've never experienced before. Many of us have experienced disappointment. Many of us have started off with New Year's resolutions and tried to get into really good habits. This is one of the reasons that we created the Consistency Code program in 2019 is like supporting people through that transition from one year into another. It's a challenging time for any of us, regardless of a pandemic, right? But 2020 showed us like you can have the best of intentions, but they may not work out. And I think that was actually a really helpful lesson. And so it's not about necessarily burning or shredding or being anti your resolutions, anti intentions and all of that. And I'm curious, Jason, as we discuss this, if you have any desire to be a little bit more balanced and fluid with it, or if it does feel good for you to truly burn something up, because it's swinging in like the opposite direction that you've been in before. Part of what I was starting to say was how I think the wellness world, the world of success, any of these coaches and courses and books and stuff that are so much about manifestation, like if you want it, it'll happen. You just have to do this and that, right? I'm reading Jen, how do you pronounce her last name? Sincero, Jason, from You Are a Badass. Yep. I'm reading her new book on habits. And there are a lot of things that I truly agree with her on. And there are some things that feel a little too like, hey, if you just do this, they'll happen. It feels a little too formulaic, but I'm not done with the book yet. I'm open-minded. It's actually a really lovely book and I love her writing style. But There are moments where I get triggered because I'm like, gosh, like she's kind of buying this and perpetuating this idea of like, if you just speak these affirmations out loud, they will happen. And again, sometimes they do happen. But coming back to one of our big points in this episode is just because you want something badly enough and follow all the steps doesn't mean that they will happen. And that to me is part of that rigid definition. It's like, Ooh, like I'm going to do something every single day because somebody told me it's going to work. But if it doesn't work, that can give you anxiety. And sometimes even the process of following something so rigidly gives you anxiety that that you don't even care if it works or not. You just want to stop doing it. Hindsight also is always 2020, and I think that there's a predisposition for people to have a certain level of whatever their success metric is. And then on the other side of that success, go, ooh, I can teach other people how to do this too. But as we've talked about, there are so many variables that are different from person to person. Our cosmology is different. Our astrology is different. Our family lineage is different. Our level of trauma is different. Our ethnicity, our sex, our race, our religion. I'm not saying this to limit, right? I'm not about setting limits. What I am about is not depending on someone telling you that their path, their formula, their structure, their blueprint will automatically work for you. But you can understand why people would want to do it, right? Whitney is like, wow, this thing I did worked. Holy shit. You know how else I can make money? Teaching people how to do what I just did. It makes sense. And I'm not slagging people for it. I just think that I want to encourage people to be very mindful when they are investigating a program or a structure or a community or a system, any of these things, of the language that is being used and the positioning that's being used and the promises that are being made. It's like buyer beware is what I'm encouraging the listener to do. Really, really check in with your gut, do your research, maybe talk to friends or acquaintances who have also enrolled in the program prior to it. And we all need to do a better job of vetting people. Absolutely. And that actually ties into the last point from Kathleen's list of the 20 ways you had an incredibly anxious 2020. There's a number of them on here, and I'm only bringing up a few of them. The last one I'll bring up is that you relied on others' reactions to evaluate yourself. And man, have I done that. I think reactions can be conversations you have personally, but they can definitely be how many likes you get on a post, how many comments you get, how many people buy your course, how are people reacting to you? And I think that this is a huge issue. And I don't think it's going to get better yet. I think we're going to go through a long period of being super hyper-focused on other people's reactions of us in order to figure out if what we're doing is good, if it's successful, because it's, it's an evaluation. 
And I feel stressed when I think about being evaluated. <laughs> you know, it's like, does that remind me of school or being parented? I'm not sure, probably. Um, but like constantly trying to shift myself or like define my performance based on how people are reacting to me, that's something that I want to do a lot less of because that does bring me anxiety. Yeah, it requires, I think, Whitney, a substitution then, though. Because to me, I find it's not that I can automatically turn off my pattern of looking to others for approval, my pattern of looking to others for feeling significant, my pattern of looking to others to validate me, because I still do those things. And I think I'm still working on, well, then independent of other people's opinion or judgments or viewpoint of me, how do we create or how do I create metrics of my own internal standards of success? And I'm glad you're bringing this up because that's actually something I really want to do in this new year is disentangle myself from, oh, what would other people think? Like, if I buy this specific car or buy this house or have this online presence or make a certain amount of money or look a certain way, then people will say like, wow, Jason's quote made it. He must be doing really well. If I keep practicing shedding, trying to get that from people, what do we replace it with? I mean, I really think one of the big challenges for me is defining my own standards and metrics of success. And I haven't done that yet. As we get a little bit closer to the end of this episode, I want to make sure we cover more of these steps. But where are you at? Do you have any metrics you've created for yourself or maybe separated from these independent observations from others? It's hard to say because it is a really hard thing to separate from because that's so much of how we're conditioned as content creators and influencers and that world has been dependent on of being evaluated constantly and, and noticing how people react to us. And I think, as I said, that it's not going away anytime soon from what I'm noticing. Hopefully it will, though. And that leads me into some of Kathleen's ideas for growing up in 2021, as she says. <laughs> Number one is that you take the time to define what you really value. And I think that's exactly what this conversation is about. It's like, what do you want? What is important to you? What feels valuable? Number two in this list is you share your thinking without trying to manage the reaction. And to answer your question, Jason, that's something that I could really benefit from is a lot of times I will try to say the right thing because I want the right reaction from somebody. I'll try to do the right thing. And it becomes incredibly confusing over time because the right thing is not a permanent, stable thing. It's constantly shifting based on the people that you're talking to or addressing, the culture, like what's going on in the world. Like this idea of right or wrong, I think really we could separate a lot from because we have to come down to, again, defining ourselves and defining what's important to us, not important to other people. That's just constantly shifting. And that is taking me years and years of work to do on myself because it, I think I grew up trying to manage other people's reactions so much and then found myself in this industry, <laughs> whether it was a coincidence or not, but this industry of feeling like my entire sense of self was shaped by how other people were perceiving me and are perceiving me. It's a difficult thing. And I'm in a space of wondering how do we even create these metrics? Or I'm kind of at a loss as we're discussing it in the sense of, you know what I suppose? I suppose the, the word that keeps coming up is, well, two words, joy and contentment. And I've heard people say, well, you know, you can't pay the bills with happiness. You can't pay the bills with love. And I'm not negating my dependence on money in our current shape and form of society. But I think chasing approval, chasing money, chasing significance, chasing the things we've talked about with the four dual basic urges that we've talked about on the podcast before of like, why are we doing this? And for me, I think that if I don't feel a sense of joy, contentment, or service, then I really want to just start saying no to a lot more things. And I might sound like a broken record because you and I have talked about the importance of saying no to things for years. And for some reason, I just really feel like my first maybe bedrock or foundation of defining these success metrics is, do I feel that this will bring me joy 
and therefore bring other people joy by the act of doing this thing? Do I feel like I'll feel deeper sense of contentment? Do I feel like this is creating a sense of service and generosity and upliftment in the world? That's all I have for now, Wit. I think this is, as you said, a way, way deeper conversation and, and requiring years of unraveling the old way of doing things. But I think one of the gifts that we have is looking at what other people are doing, right? And saying, ah, that doesn't feel right. I don't want to do it that way. And there's a lot of that, as we've said before, the newsletters and the social media posts and a lot of content creators or coaches or thought leaders we've followed in the past, they just don't resonate anymore. And I think that's a gift because if we're not paying attention to what they're doing or trying to emulate or parrot them, then we're creating the necessity for us to figure it out for ourselves. And I think that's exciting. And that's the place I want to live and try to keep living is that place of excitement and discovery of, yeah, I don't really care what they're doing. No disrespect. It doesn't resonate anymore. Well, then how do I want to do it? And maybe we don't have all the answers right now. And I feel like I have very few answers and I'm okay with that. I think being okay with it is one of the big keys here. One other thing worth mentioning for me from Kathleen's list of ideas for growing up is to treat rejection and disappointment like they are manageable. And I think we can explore that in a whole other episode because I get very triggered when I feel rejected or disappointed. And I I actually did share a little bit of this in one episode. Um, I don't remember which one it was, Jason, maybe you do, but I was talking about like the physical sensation of disappointment in the body. And it's, again, not like I can snap my fingers and stop feeling a certain way after being rejected or disappointed. It's something we kind of have to manage every day. We can get a little bit better at it. And that is the whole point. You are treating it like it's manageable because it is manageable. It just doesn't mean that it's going to go away right away. It's just you're managing it. And I like that mentality versus like trying to perfect something, trying to get rid of something. And I certainly hope that as we continue with this podcast and work on our courses like Wellness Warrior Training, I want to keep looking at them differently and making sure that those courses are fully aligned with who we are now, you know, not who we were when we first created them. It's been really interesting revisiting the consistency code and noticing what's working for people and what's not and all these room for improvement. As I said in another episode, we have so much room for improvement, Jason and I, we're constantly examining what we're doing and making sure that it feels in alignment with not only us, but with you, the listener, and with our students and our clients and all these other amazing people that come into our lives. You know, we did this with our newsletter recently, right, Jason? Like we were stepping back to evaluate like, hey, like, let's try some new things. Let's see if these feel better for people because we want them to be valuable. Just like this email that I've been reading from Kathleen and the one from Corbett and Christopher, those are really valuable to me. And I want ours to feel the same way to other people. And again, it's not like there's that fine line of trying to constantly optimize it because we're hoping that it'll feel valuable, (laughs) that it'll feel acceptable, that we'll get the reaction that we want. That's where the balance comes in is wanting to support people, but doing it in a way that really feels good to us. And I guess that's kind of The big lesson that we have explored in today's episode is finding what works for you, even when the world is pointing in different directions. And I'm grateful to explore that with you here, Jason. As we get closer to wrapping this episode, Whitney, I wanted to just bring up a short example of how people can be really obsessed with metrics and numbers and analytics and constant optimization. I'm a big basketball fan, and there's a basketball team called the Houston Rockets. And for years, he's no longer with the team. Their general manager, Daryl Morey, was lauded in the National Basketball Association with crafting teams based on metrics and efficiency of, we ought to do more three-pointers because that's a more efficient shot, or we ought to run the offense this certain way. And what I realize is they never won a championship. They never had the success they wanted. And so to you, dear listener, and I'm reminding you and I, Whitney, as well. Hard numbers, analytics, metrics, optimization does not guarantee success. 
does not guarantee success. So with that thought, we will have many, many more thoughts to come (laughs) as we do here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. And for you, dear listener, if you've been with us through this entire episode, go ahead and visit our website, which again is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, wellevator.com. We have the show notes for this episode containing all of the articles, the books, any additional research or reading materials that you want to go and go level deeper beyond this episode. And as I mentioned, we also have many great free resources, including our eBooks and a couple of our paid programs that Whitney mentioned, Wellness Warrior Training and the Consistency Code. We have so many goodies for you and so many more goodies coming in 2021. We're not exactly sure what specific direction we're going in. We're not exactly sure what we're going to be creating for you. We might take some time off to evaluate that. We don't know, but we're going to keep creating because we're artists. We have it in our heart and our minds to keep creating things and experimenting. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for supporting us over this past year plus we've been doing this and doing our brand and our podcast. And we will absolutely have more good stuff. But again, we have no idea what the hell it's going to (laughs) be. So here's to the spirit of experimentation. Here's to the spirit of doing it your way. Here's to the spirit of trying things you've never done before. And it's our definite dedication to continue doing all of those things and encouraging you to do the same. So until the next episode, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. Thanks for supporting the podcast. And we'll catch you with another episode very, very soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 